Well, this morning, we are going to continue to study our series of our glorious God, which we are observing his attributes within scripture. In the last several weeks, we have been going through what we call God's attributes of greatness, his attributes that are for him alone, ones that we do not experience, but they are attributed to God only. Last week, Aaron, he taught us through scripture that God is eternal. That is how he has revealed himself within scripture. He is an eternal being. He is not limited by time. He created time. He is transcendent over time. He, is for, he has always been and will forever be the great I am. He is eternal. Every week that we go through these attributes, I'm sure we, all of you, including myself, we're just constantly, constantly reminded that God is not like us. He's not like us in any way. He is completely unhindered by anything or anyone, including even his creation, those that he created. And as human beings, we're the opposite. It seems like we're hindered by everything. We're influenced by everything. And just everything is difficult. And we're not only that, but we're especially sometimes influenced by each other. I mean, even those of you who are in the first service, that is something Rick is discussing from Ephesians, how many times what we say can have a negative influence on each other. We are always, always in this process of interacting with one another, being changed by one another. When wherever we're in the room, we're always reading the room, we're reading faces. We are sometimes judging each other within conversations. It sometimes can be very exhausting, even just the politics that come in, just the way we're influenced by the presence of one another. We are changed many times by just some other person being within our presence. For instance... Many of you, I'm sure if you were in your home having an argument with your spouse and temp, just anger's starting to kind of flare up, tempers are rising, and any stranger all of a sudden walked in your house, you would stop. <laughs> and all of a sudden the tone of your conversation would all of a sudden change just from the presence of another person. You're when people are at walk, bosses walk in the room, people of importance, all of a sudden you get a little bit busier, you start acting a little bit more professional. Just from the presence of someone else within your proximity, it changes you in some ways. And like I said, many times this can be exhausting the way that we interact with each other and it can be sometimes very stressful. And sometimes we just want to say, we just want to leave and be left alone, just by ourselves, no one else, just me. And yet as Christians, our theology tells us that that is impossible. That is something that cannot be obtained. Even if you are alone in the most remotest parts of the earth, in the deepest, darkest places where no one else is, you are not alone. You are always in the presence of the most supreme being. You are in the presence of God, no matter where you are at. And yet he, in so many ways, is the one that we think about the least. 
There's so many times when we're alone and we do not think about his presence in the way that we would if somebody, just some random stranger all of a sudden walked into our house. We do not think about him in those ways. We are never alone. We are always in his presence. And for the unrighteous, for the wicked, for those indulging in sin, that can be quite terrifying. It should be terrifying. However, for the redeemed, those who seek his presence, that is a divine comfort that we have of knowing that we live in the presence of God. So this morning, we are going to cover three attributes that just deal with how his presence affects our lives, who he is. So this morning, we are going to cover his omnipresence, his omniscience, and his omnipotence. Now, those are big words. Those are big words. And honestly, the meaning behind those are even deeper of knowing how they apply to God. They're alien words as far as him and the way we think about the power and knowledge and presence that he has. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient and he is omnipotent. And being from Dick County, Missouri, I'm ashamed to say (laughs) how much I actually had to focus on trying to say those things this week. (laughs) If some of you know geography in Missouri, you will get that joke. So before diving into this, I want to give just a few reminders of just truths that we've already been learning in this class, something that we need to have before us as we dive into this. First of all, God cannot be divided into parts. He is not just a little bit of all his attributes that come together and form God. He is God. So if we're, as we're navigating three different attributes this morning, we need to be careful that it doesn't come across of, well, he's part this, he's part this, he's part that. No, he is God. As Adam taught us several weeks ago, he has a divine simplicity. He's not divided. He simply is. So we need to remind ourselves of that. Another reminder that we need to have is that we have an understanding that God is comprehensible. There, we cannot fully understand who he is, and yet we can know him. So knowing that his majesty and everything that we are told are just some things that we just cannot wrap our minds around, we can just not fully understand, that does not mean that what we do know about him, that that should not have an action within our lives. Whether we fully understand him or not, what we know should cause us to live in a certain way, and that applies with the attributes that we're going to cover this morning. He is knowable, and what we know about him should cause us to live in a certain way. Knowledge of God is not enough unless you live out of your knowledge of God, and it affects how you live for him. So the first attribute that we're going to uncover describes how God interacts with space. Not just outer space, but this space, space out there. His creation, how he navigates everything, all of his creation. And as human beings, space is a problem for us. 
It is. We are always trying to get somewhere. We need to get somewhere. We need to be there. We're setting schedules and setting up our priorities. And it's always rushing and rushing and trying to get somewhere. And even there's many times when we are somewhere, we're discontent with that. We can be at work. And then all of a sudden thinking, man, I just can't wait for my vacation of going to the beach or the mountains. And we're thinking about how I wish I was somewhere else. And then if you're like me, you take that vacation and then you're wondering what's going on at work and what am I missing out on? We're always just kind of having this tension of how we are navigating the space that we are in. And for God, he is not like us. He has none of those experiences. He is omnipresent. Omnipresent meaning that he is fully present at all times everywhere. God is everywhere. Omni means all without limitations. And he is present over all his creation. If you look down at your worksheet, Greg Allison gives us a very helpful definition, just a little bit more broader than the one I just gave that he is fully present everywhere at all times. Very simple. Greg Allison in his book, 50 um, Core Truths, which is what we're going through Wednesday, um, as far as our adult uh, class, night class on Wednesday nights, he says this, omnipresence is the divine characteristic of being all present. God is present everywhere with his entire being at the same time. He is not limited by space and should not be considered as being enormously big or located in one space rather than another. Though he is present everywhere, God manifests his presence in different ways, in different situations to bless, curse, warn, or comfort. This attribute underscores the divine transcendence. God is infinitely exalted over creation which has spatial dimension and is located in one place. So what we glean from that definition is God is spirit and is fully in his whole being everywhere at one time, which is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we are the opposite. That is such an alien thing compared to where we are, where everything is divine, is divided, and we're confined to space, time, and where we're at in the moment. God is not like us. He is spirit, and he is fully transcendent over space, and he is everywhere at at one time. Now, studying this attribute, many of you who have looked into this, there's another word that theologians kind of put together with this, omnipresence, also immensity, which means he fills all. Now, we don't need to get too caught up in those two words. They really kind of go together and complement each other. Omnipresence is more of measuring space, while immensity is more the measurement of that. So they kind of go together just to say that God is everything of who he is, fills everywhere. He is everywhere. He is not confined to his creation. He is transcendent above time and space and through his sovereignty interacts with creation as he wills. As as Stephen Charnock said, he is diffused through the whole world. God is everywhere. God is wholly present within space and time of his creation. He's observing everything. 
absolutely everything, which is amazing for us because we have a hard time, even in the space that we're in, observing stuff in just this room. There's just this information overload, even for me up here, is I'm just kind of looking at all of you and looking at notes and looking at the lighting. It's just, it's more than it's even, I can even take in. God is not like that. He fully understands not just what's going on in here, but everywhere with all his creation. He is watching the complexity of ant colonies building their cities underneath grounds. He is watching birds building nests. He's watching bees pollinate the earth, making honey. He's watching microbes and bacteria feeding and producing life all around us, in us, on us. He knows all about that. He is witnessing just the strange alien life within the deepest levels of the ocean. He is observing distant stars and distant galaxies dying and being reborn. And within all of that, he is with us. He is observing us. He is within our presence. He is there when we have celebrations. He is there when we are mourning. He is there in times of victory. He is times in some of our most weakest moments. He is watching the hidden schemes of evildoers planning their evil, thinking that they are alone, and yet they are in the presence of God. He is with the brokenhearted as they mourn. He is with us. He is everywhere. God is observing everything within his creation, including us. And so I want to take just a few more minutes, just kind of diving into some passages that we can read and observe this theology of his omnipresence. Now, we're not going to go through everything. We don't have time for that. Um, I've given you several verses within your sheet. As we go this morning, I'm just going to highlight a few of them. And I'm just going to warn you, we're covering three attributes this morning, and we're going to be moving rather fast. So you may not quite have time to turn to every single one, but I do have them there in front of you that you can look at later. So one observation that we get from scripture is God created time and space. He is the creator and is not limited by his creation. Very first book, verse, very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of creation. He is not confined by creation. He is transcendent over his creation. He is the creator. And then also, we also find that he is the sustainer of all things. As Paul writes in Colossians 1.17 of Jesus, who is the son of God, he says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. God is not somebody who just created the earth, wound it up, left it alone and said, okay, I'm done now. Yes, he is transcended over his creation. He is not confined by his creation, but he plays an intimate role within creation. He is not the deist God that some people view him as, as someone who is the creator, but yet has no interaction with his creation. He is with us. And that leads to our next observation. God is wholly present everywhere in his creation. John 4, 24 reveals that God is spirit, which means he is not confined to space and time. Now we need to have a clear, we need to be clear that we understand God just because he's everywhere does not mean 
He's everywhere and he's everything. Not everything is God. He is separate from his creation, even though he interacts with his creation. It is a pantheistic view, a pagan view that teaches that God is everything and everything is God. That is not the God of scripture. He is above, transcendent over his creation, but still interacts within creation. So he is not the chair. He is not the wall. He is God in spirit who is always within our presence, is always with us. He is present everywhere. Psalm 139, 7 through 11. Psalm 139 is attributed to David and the psalmist writes, he goes, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. And your hand will lay a hold of me if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And even the night is bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So the testimony of the psalmist is that God is everywhere. There is no escaping God, even the most remotest parts of the earth. Now for the wicked, for those who are sinners and just rebels against him, that is terrifying. That should be terrifying. It would be madness if it wasn't terrifying. And yet, that's not the testimony of what we read before us in Psalm 139. The psalmist is not terrified by this truth. Instead, it is his hope that he says, even if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. For those who are, those who seek God those who are believers in God, those who believe in his goodness and his justice and his mercy and love, knowing his presence before us, that is a comfort to us. The presence of the Lord can be a terrifying revelation or a divine comfort depending on your relationship with him. And so that leads to the next point that we get from scripture is God is present everywhere but he interacts differently within his creation. Just because he's everywhere at one time does not mean that he interacts the same with his creation and especially concerning us as those made in his image. He is ontologically present everywhere, but he is relationally present in in different ways at different times and with different people. For example, in many places within scripture states that God is far from the wicked, but he is near to the righteous. So does this mean that he's not present with the evildoer? That he is shunning his face from there? Does not have any idea of what's going on as they are just going headlong into their sin? No. And there's other places where it says God's face is against the wicked. He knows everything that is going on. When scripture says that God is far from the wicked, that is, a rever- that is reference to his relationship with them. As far as his relationship with who they are and who he is, he is far from them. 
He does not have that relationship of love and mercy and grace. He is against them in some ways, even though he is merciful in even that. But there is a certain relationship that he has with believers and also unbelievers. One verse that kind of touches both sides of this is Proverbs 15, 29 that says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Notice those two different relationships there. He's far, relationally far from the wicked, but he hears, he listens to the righteous. He has a relationship with them. So knowing that, knowing God's omnipresence, that should cause us to consider how we live, how we live before him. It is something that we should always be reminding ourselves, something that we should constantly be aware of. And with that in mind, as we move on, once again, we need to remind ourselves that God is not made up of parts. He is not just omnipresent. He is. But if he was just that, and that was the only attribute that he had, he'd be kind of like us. We're present at the time, but yet us being somewhere does not mean that we have perfect understanding of everything that's going on around us. There's many times that people have experiences, but yet through loss of memory, through distress, through twisting of their experiences to fit a narrative they might like, they, the truth gets muddy. The truth gets lost. That's why sometimes even personal testimonies do not always hold up within a court of law. Somebody says, I was there, I saw this, and yet, maybe you did, maybe you don't, didn't. Maybe, maybe you don't fully understand what happened in that moment. We are flawed in our experiences that we have within spaces. God is not like that. God is not like us. And as we will discuss, he is all present. He is omnipresent, but also he is all knowing as we are going to now move on to. In other words, he is omniscient. He is all present, but that all present God is all knowing. As Thomas Watson said, he knows everything that is knowable. He knows everything. And this can be comforting and unsettling news. For those who are unrepentant, indulging in secret sins, walking around self-righteousness, living like God is not there, that is sobering news because not only that is he there, but he fully understands everything. He knows everything. But for the brokenhearted that seek him, God knows. He understands. It is a comfort. So the creator of the universe has perfect understanding of his creation, including you, He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Now, just an FYI, the next two attributes that we're going to cover, his omniscience and his omnipotence, it is something that, going back to how we try to categorize these attributes of, of categories of greatness, which is something solely for God, and categories of us, his goodness that he shares with us, like love, justice. These next two, the theologians struggle where to put them. It's something that they're always kind of a little bit in an argument, which we have to remind ourselves that there are not perfect categories here. You cannot fit God into a box. We can just 
we can just make observations as we see them in scripture of who he is. So either way, the next two attributes that we're going to cover, it is something that he is so far above us in these categories. It is completely just foreign and alien to us. So the first, the second one that we're going to uncover rather is omniscience. If you look down, Terry Johnson defines omniscience as this. He has a perfect knowledge of himself of all that he has made, past, present, and future. He knows what's, what happens by design, what happens by what we call chance. He knows and foreknows the free voluntary acts of man. God is never surprised. That last, that last thing he says there, God is never surprised. I mean, if you understand that, that kind of tells you everything you need to know. He's not surprised because he knows everything. When I was in high school, I remember reading a book that was very unhelpful where God was described as a risk taker. He's a real man. He takes risk. And because of that, we need to be ones to take risk. And yet, that is a very unbiblical viewpoint of God because to be able to take a risk, it means you do not know something. You do not know how something is going to turn out. God is not a risk taker because there is nothing unknown for him to take a risk on. He knows everything, past, present, and future. God is never surprised. He is omniscient. He is, is all-knowing. So some observations that we could, uh, come away with from Scripture. One is God's knowledge is perfect, never in decline or with error. God is all-knowing and his knowledge is not errant and it's never going to change. It's never going to wane. And because of that, he is the one who's created everything. All knowledge belongs to him. He needs no correction. We do not yet never have to give God the side eye wondering if he fully understands what's going on here. He is the creator. He's the one that has made everything. He needs no correction. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans eleven thirty four thirty six, 36. For who is, who is known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has, who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Reading about God's knowledge, his all-knowing attributes within scripture, that should not bring any questions to our mind about, well, does he really know? Does he really understand? Instead, what we understand, what we know within scripture, what we observe, that should bring worship from us instead of questions. Knowing what we know about him should cause us to worship him and who he is. His wisdom, his knowledge, it never wanes, it never rusts, it never declines. As we learned from Adam a few weeks ago, God is immutable. He is never changing. He, and also, he is eternal, which that means the knowledge that he has is eternal. He is eternal. And there is a comfort that we can take in that. So God is eternal, but... His knowledge is eternal. He knows everything past, present, and 
future. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, he says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So God has a perfect understanding of the past, present, and has a perfect understanding of the future. Why? He is the author of all of history, past, present, and future. He is, we are going to talk about next week, he is sovereign over everything. So he has a full understanding of everything that has happened, happening, and will happen because he is the author over all of it. And as we're going to talk about here in a few minutes with his omnipotence, as he says in Isaiah, my purpose will be established. He will do his will. He will accomplish his will. So God's knowledge is eternal. He knows it all. But not just that, but within that, his knowledge is perfect concerning who he himself is. His knowledge of creation is perfect, including mankind, which is you. His knowledge of you is perfect. As human beings, we do not have a full understanding of ourselves, much less other people. We're all try- always trying to figure each other out. That is not how God is. He is not like us. God fully understands himself and he knows everything, including us perfectly, those who are made in his image. Psalm 33, 13 through 15, the psalmist says this, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from his dwelling place. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, the hearts of them all rather, he who understands all their works. He understands his creation, us made in his image. He's one who fashioned us and he's one who understands how we live before him. He has perfect knowledge of everything. Now here is where we need to just kind of stop, pump the brakes and just kind of pull the car over just a second. Because many of you Bible scholars probably right now have some questions. And some of those questions is, what about those passages where it seems like God learned something, forgot something? What, what about those? And so let's just kind of take a few minutes to just discuss at least a couple of them. Now, Adam kind of addressed this a little, um, Adam addressed this when he was teaching us about God's immutability, how there are some verses that talk about him maybe changing in a way. And those just like these, they need to be dealt on a verse-by-verse basis, but we have to remember that when we see this tension within Scripture, there are two, there are two views. Either God's word is errant and it's within error, or there is an explanation within the text, the passage, or within Scripture that sheds light on that. Here's just a couple examples. First, first one is Hebrews 8.12, quoting Jeremiah, God declares, I will remember their sins no more. Well, if God is all-knowing and he says, I will remember your, remember your sins no more, when we're forgiven, does he forget? Is that possible? 
And no, the language that it's using is language that we use ourselves. When we forgive each other, we treat it as something that we're not going to think about anymore. We're not going to keep that on account. We are not going to hold that before you constantly. It is counted as something that is gone. It is something that is counted as not remembered. And of course, that's what God does for us. He, when, when we are forgiven, he no longer counts our sins against us. It is not something that he holds over us anymore. It is gone. And we, so that is a verse like that, that should not bother us as far as, wait a minute, that seems like that kind of contradicts what we know about his omniscience. He is, he is the forgiver and he forgives sins and it's treated as gone. Here's another one. This next one's a narrative, which a lot of these types of verses actually are within narrative, which it's the unfolding of a story, which telling of the story, God interacts in different ways, just like any other story would. Here's an example. In Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son in obedience. And as we know from the story, Abraham does that. He takes him up on the mountain. He prepares the 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 altar, lays Isaac on it, and as he raises his hand up, all of a sudden what? He is stopped by divine intervention. An angel actually calls out to him and says, stop. And within that, God um, God declares to him, do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So in that instance, is that something where all of a sudden God learns something about Abraham? And the answer is no. He knows the future. As we know, his knowledge is eternal. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what Abraham was going to do. It wasn't something where God was learning something about Abraham. God was teaching Abraham something about himself, about God. God was not surprised by the outcome of that. In fact, we even know that through the writer of Hebrews that Abraham's theology caused him through faith to have obedience, knowing that of who God is, and he's not a God that changes, and he's not a God who, who breaks his promises. The writer of Hebrews writes in 1119, uh, talking about Abraham, and it says, he considered that God is able to even raise people from the dead. He knew that God had made promises that through Isaac was going to come his lineage, his seed that God would use to bless the rest of the earth. He knew God wasn't going to break that promise. And that caused him to live out in faith. Abraham knew God's attributes and trusted God would not break his promises. God was not learning something from Abraham. God was teaching Abraham to, have, to strengthen his faith in him of what he knows. God knows the end of every story. He is not, and having said that, he knows the end of every story, but he is not someone who has seen the ending of every story and is bored with it like we are. He is transcended over time. He is transcended over everything. And yet he plays an intimate role within his creation and within us. He understands And we can never say he does not understand because of the role that he plays within his creation. God knows and understands more than we can comprehend, 
But that's not all. Once again, this is not just a part of his attribute, but it is who he is along with everything else. And us as humans who are not like him, knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is something that we can have, and yet we can not fully act on it. We mess everything up, even knowing what is right. And God is not like us. He is all-knowing, but as we are going to move on, he is also all-powerful. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. Wayne Gruden gives a very just simple, simple definition for this. God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all of his holy will. Everything that God wills, God has the power to do. Not only does he see everything, he knows everything. He is able to do all. He is all powerful. And that is good news. That is good news that the God of the universe, who is perfectly just, a loving God, full of goodness, he is unhindered in carrying about his will. That is good news for us. We judge everything by what is possible and impossible. And even throughout history, just the most innovative minds, the great dreamers within history, all have their limitations of what is possible and impossible. The greatest among us, God is not like us. For example, in Genesis 17, going back to Abraham, he tells Abraham, who is old, and his wife is old, both of them are past the age of bearing children, he tells them that they're going to have a child. And Sarah, his wife, reacts in a way that we probably all would. She laughs. I mean, it's absurd, right? And yet God's response to her is, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult? He can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever his will is. God claims in Isaiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And we should clearly see this. I mean, right now we're, we're sitting on this planet that's spinning and he's controlling all of it. He has the power to do that. He has the power to do everything. He has the, has the power to control, sustain the earth. He has the power to even us as those dead, in, spiritually dead rather, in our flesh through salvation actually give us new hearts. That is a hope that we can have on him, from him. In Matthew 19, 20, uh, 23 through 26, Jesus is talking about a rich man. And he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. It's impossible. And yet, the, <laughs> the disciples, they respond in that. They say, then who can be saved? Like, how does this work? And Jesus responds, with people, what is with people this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He can do everything within his will. God is the creator and sustainer of all things, and he is the savior. He has provided a way salvation through Jesus Christ, and through him there is possibility of new birth from spiritual death. That is something that he has done. There is hope in our all-powerful God. Now, talking about all-powerful God, 
when us as humans, when we think of somebody being all powerful, we get a little nervous. We get a little nervous because when we think of power, we think and faced with unbridled power, there that many times leads to abuse, to corruption, to oppression. And can you trust a God that is an all-powerful being? And the answer is yes, because of who he is. Because of who our God is, we can trust him being an all-powerful being. And this goes to our next point. God is not capable of evil because conducting evil would be contrary to who he is. Yes, he can do anything, but he can do anything within his nature, who he is. He will never do anything that contradicts who he is. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message that we heard from him announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So for the wicked, it is such a terrifying thing knowing that there is a holy God that is in their, in their presence at all times, is all-knowing and all-powerful. But for us as Christians, knowing who he is, that should be our greatest comfort knowing who he is, of being an all-powerful God who is unhindered by everything and will carry out his will. He is a righteous judge and he is a loving savior. We can put our trust in him alone. Our God is omnipresent, he is omniscient, and he is omnipotent. And those are great truths for us to glean from scripture about him. We can put our hope in those attributes of who he is. So just a few quick takeaways as we, as we close here. What do we do with this information? I mean, these are things that are just so high above us. First thing is, is we have to start off by humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves of who we are in light of God. When we marvel at the greatness of God, that should cause us to become small in comparison to him. That should humble us, but humble us in our humility. That should cause actions from us. First Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How many times do we just sit in our own self-pity and our own capability and just mourn in our lack of just messing up everything when we have an all-powerful God that cares about us and listens to our prayers. Knowing who he is should cause an action within us to be dependent on him. And with that, another takeaway is understanding the divine knowledge and power of God should cause us to trust in him alone. He alone is the one who can trust, not us. It is him and because of his attributes of who he is. And once again, that should cause an action from us. Paul, as he writes to the Ephesians in chapter three, he's giving a prayer for them to be filled with the fullness of God. And at the end of the prayer, he says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. He is able. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We are so forgetful. We need to constantly remind ourselves of who God is and who we are in his presence. The reformers used to have a saying, Karam Deo, which means before the face of God. 
to remind themselves of who they are in his presence. And we need to do the same thing. The worst thing that we can do as Christians is fall into just sinful self-reliance, pursue sinful pleasures, all while forgetting that we live before a holy God. That kind of forgiveness is, forgetness is a practical atheism, living as if there is no God, living as if he does not see us fall into sin, as if he doesn't understand our circumstances, as if he isn't willing to come to aid in our time of need. Let us not be those people. Let us be the ones who constantly remind ourselves of who we are in the presence of God. As Jesus said to his disciples in the great commission at the end, he says, and lo, I am with you always. And that's our hope. We are not left alone in this world. We can put a hope, our hope in our all powerful God. He knows all, he is with us, and he is capable of doing all which he wills. And that's good news for us, amen? Let's pray. Father, I just wanna thank you so much for these great truths. Truths that are just so far above us, hard to wrap our minds around of just who you are. And yet we are not helpless in our misunderstanding, but Father, you have blessed us with your revelation of yourself. And Father, I pray that we would continue to just marvel and meditate on these great truths. And Father, that we would not be those who forget you, which is just so shameful to think about how many times we do. Father, let us be the ones who constantly live in your presence, acknowledge who you are. And Father, I pray that knowing who you are would cause us to live for your glory. Father, be with us the rest of this morning. Jesus, I pray. Amen.